All right, this is going to be half comedy routine, half preaching. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just nervous. I'm just burning off uh, nervous energy. All right, so I have a favor to ask whoever wants to do it. My body is going haywire. I have asthma, and my lungs are burning, and all kinds of stuff. So if while I'm preaching, could somebody just say a prayer for me that that just doesn't fire up? So if uh, you've if you have asthma, you know what it's like to have your your chest on fire, raining down through your arms. Well, that's going on for me right now. So if somebody would, while I am speaking, be praying for that, I would appreciate it. All right. So uh, there you go. That's what I'm talking about tonight. So, and I'm just have one verse. I'm not going to take a 37 verse passage and unpack it like uh, Adam does. Or like Mike does, or the other guys, you know, they just buzz through there. And uh, I can do that, but that's not what the Lord's given me to do tonight. So, um, we're going to talk about the prayer of holy imagination. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm pretty psyched about doing this. I'm pumped. Um, Anybody who knows me knows that prayer is a big deal to me. And uh, so, I've been going through my mind, (laughs) Larry, no. Keep it tamed down. You actually got to say words. You can't get up there and just go, you know, and just like, you actually have to have some points. So I've been working on myself to kind of calm down, but you're going to get a little business going on up here. So while I'm preaching, so, um, you know what? I, uh, I used to didn't like prayer. Prayer baffled me. I'm just like, who wants to pray? I mean, uh, I can't think of what to say when you're in public. You're afraid something's going to fly out of your mouth or your nose while you're praying. Uh, stuff's going to come out backwards or whatever. Especially since I've been a youth pastor forever and a day. You know, I'm used to kids also not really knowing what to do. But I, once, I, once I, something came alive in me. And once I found my groove with Jesus about prayer, man, I just can't stop praying. I love prayer. I could, I could literally do, uh, well, maybe not now, when I was younger. I could do like an eight-hour marathon, just praying all kinds of different prayers. Speaking in tongues, declarations, silent prayer, meditative prayer, you name it, I could do it. I'm too old for that stuff now. I don't think I could do it that long. But I, I found my groove. I feel like uh, Jesus has given me my groove uh, in what prayer looks like for me. And... Uh, I just think prayer is probably the most primitive spiritual discipline a person could do. People have been praying since Adam and Eve. You know, they didn't have a worship band. They didn't have a Bible, so they wasn't preaching and not like that. Except maybe Enoch did some because he was a real godly man. Uh, but prayer, I mean, it doesn't get any more basic, more primitive when I say primitive, I mean just downright nitty-gritty, just you and God conversing. There's nothing more primitive than that. And yet, you know, I've been doing this Jesus thing now for about 46 years. What I find is the thing that's avoided more than anything else is prayer. It just astounds me. We'll, we'll do anything We'll get programs together. We'll preach the word. We'll have good worship sets. We'll do this. But when it comes to actually to you and Jesus, 
people in Jesus actually conversing and being real and, and saying, God, what do you want to do? I find it's like, it's like it's avoided. It's like, well, uh, I mean, I used to be a pastor. I've been pastor in churches, you know, like regular, like suburban churches. And uh, I, I was on staff once for five and a half years, this one church. We didn't pray once. Not once. Until I brought it up when we were trying to decide how many crushes to have in the front. And then uh, somebody brought it up said, hey, I think Larry might have something to say. And I'm like, shut up. Don't do that. And I just said, I think we should pray. So then we prayed. And uh, then I was looked at and go, no, is that all right now? And I'm like, come on. So prayer is awesome. And... Uh, so here's, you probably guys recognize this prayer of holy imagination or holy imagination. I think Mike might have used it once or twice in some of his preaching. But I don't, I don't remember that. But here's how I got this. Was uh, Dave Weatherby and I uh, had some people, we were just praying for scum over here one night. And you know how Dave is. You know, if you know Dave, you know. He's like, well, I think that. Um, and then he says what he thinks going on. And then... It's just like you got hit in the face with a boxing glove. Because it's so profound, so astute, and it's done so quietly. And we're sitting there, and by the way, most of the time, most of the people who show up for our prayer meetings are fairly introverted, except for me. I always say, I always say, I'm going to get the canoe out into the lake, and I hope somebody starts rowing. That's just kind of how I feel, you know. And uh, so we were getting ready, and Dave says, you know, I think we should have prayers of holy imagination. I'm like, what does that even mean? Is that an artist sort of deal? What? Then he went on to explain. Then I had to have him explain it to me again because I forgot. And here's what he said, and here's what he meant. Praying things that we think are not possible. Just, we just feel like it could never happen. Praying the what ifs. In other words, going way outside, kind of crawling outside of the hole that we've dug, dug ourselves in for all of our problems and saying, is there something bigger? Is there something that God, this is what happens when you're Italian, arms are going like this, things knocking over. And, but it's like, it's, like, it's like faith just bursting in us and we can pray something larger, something bigger, something more of weight, something more than just we need to pray for ourselves, but something larger. And especially those things we just don't think are possible or just can't happen. And I thought, wow, that's a great description. So when, uh, when, I, de- when I woke up one morning after I figured out I was going to be preaching here, and the Lord just told me that's what exactly what I want you to preach on. He gave me a verse, and we're going to look at today. Today, here's what I'm asking Jesus to do. I'm asking Jesus in this church, yes, scum of the earth church, uh, I am asking Him to inspire us, to enlarge our hearts, to enlarge our minds, to increase our faith, to be able to pray with holy imagination. That's what I've asked the Lord, and that's what I feel like the Lord's put in my heart to want to see happen as a result of what we're talking about. Can we begin to dream again with faith and utter prayers that accomplish the things God's put in our heart? You know, 
almost every time I figured people would get sick of hearing me say it, when we used to have prayer meetings here, uh, I would say I would say this every week. I said, you know, you guys have been at Scum longer than I have. I believe God has put something in your heart for Scum, and tonight. I want you to pray what God's put in your heart. Can we put aside for a while until we get around to praying for each other? Can we pray about what God's put in your heart? And I believe in this room, if you're part of scum, or if you're not part of scum and you're, you go to another church, or it's just for your family, I believe God's deposited something in your spirit and in your heart that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle of everyday life. And we need to rediscover what God's put in our heart and begin to put words to that and begin to release that and say, God, not only do that, but do something bigger than that. Uh, I can't even tell you how many times I've been praying and I say, God, here's what I'm asking you to do. But if you got something bigger in mind than just lying little pipsqueak brains coming up with here, can you do something bigger? Now, bigger isn't always the best. So I'm not advocating we do big, uh, you know, big, bodacious, lavish things. What I'm saying is bigger, when I say bigger, is bigger than we can possibly ask or think. As Ephesians 3, the, one of the last verses. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Tabitha, we're going to your high school, Arvada High School, to pray to ask God. To do exceedingly abundantly what's in your heart for your high school. I'll talk to you about that afterwards. Because we've talked about that. <laughs> exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Can we do that? Can we allow God to do that in us? And then put words to it and put it out to Him. I'd like to see us give it a shot. You know, the first three and a half years I was here, we had a worship and prayer ministry. We did that. We had some amazing things happen. I'm going to get to that later. All right. But because you're supposed to preach Scripture, I better get, some, get to the verses. <laughs> so uh, this is Luke 11, 1 through 4. So here's what I'd like for us to do. If you all see it, I'd like for us all to read it together. All right? On the count of three. Because we all need to be directed, right? One, two, three, go. So what I'm going to focus on is just one of those verses. Verse 2. So the Lord teaches us to pray. And then he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Oops. When you pray, uh, where's the part that says, thy kingdom come? Did I miss that? Yeah, thy kingdom come. If you read it in Matthew 6, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught this in Matthew 6. And now he's doing it again. It's his abbreviated version, though. So... Um, what I'm going to focus on is where it says, Your kingdom come, and I'm going to just slip in there, the Matthew 6, because it's more full. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm not going to do a theological dissertation on this, because I'm not a theologian like Adam. So, <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I could do it, but that's not my heart tonight. My heart is to focus on this one verse. By the way, 
if you've been around Christianity any length of time, you've heard plenty of teaching, especially if you're a Christian in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. There's more teaching on the Lord's Prayer than you can shake a stick at. I just, I just want to focus on the one verse. I don't want a theological dissertation. I'm not against it, but I want Holy Spirit inspiration. See, I got a little thing there, right there. Not a dissertation, the Holy Spirit inspiration. I got one of those in there. Anyway, sorry. I'm just nervous. That's why I do those things. What Jesus is saying there is that boys, he had 12, you guys realize the disciples were kids. They were a youth group and a college group. That's exactly what they were. John was around 14 years old. Peter was the oldest, maybe 21, something like that. Jesus turned the world upside down by a youth group and a college group. I think that's pretty darn sweet. So anyway, that's why I say boys, whatever the Jewish word for boys is. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's praying, and he's just saying that there's something higher and greater and stronger that you can be praying. So here's what happened. It says up there in verse 1 that Jesus was praying, and when he was done, one of the guys said, Hey, this is the Larry version. Hey, John the Baptist is teaching his guys how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? So they're probably watching John the Baptist teach his boys how to pray. And I'm going to guess that these guys have watched Jesus pray. And so they get the bright idea. Hey, he's over there praying. We should ask him. Maybe he can teach us how to pray. So either they were with him while he was praying, or they were enough distance away that they could hear something. And, you know, he was Jewish. Maybe his hands were flying around. I don't know. Maybe he was, oh, you know. I don't know. That's a kind of Italian thing. I don't know. And uh, Or maybe uh, they just knew he was out there and he came back. And I'm going to guess there were times, though, when he was praying for people in, his ho- in, the, in, in a house or they're walking around and he prayed for somebody to get healed or demon cast up or raise somebody from the dead. They heard him pray. So they, this one time they got impressed. Hey, he's out praying. Let's ask him to show us how to do what he does. That's when you know you're being a good discipler. It's because the guys that are following you want to do what you do. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. So Jesus did a good job of that. And um, so he tells them this this brief little thing here. But you know what? He wasn't meant to make it formulaic. This is not meant to be a formula. Uh, I, now, I confess that I got this out of a commentary, this next thing I'm going to say. Uh, but I thought it was a pretty good point. When you read the one in Matthew 6, it's more detailed. This one is shorter. And it was a separate incident. That meant that Jesus didn't mean this to be formulaic. What he was doing was he was given some short points probably about what he did. You know, Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father do and what he heard the Father say. That's all he did. He didn't have a formula. He just spent time with the Father and all that stuff we're reading the Bible about him. Guess where he got it from? Dad. Or we call him Abba. That's a Hebrew word for daddy. He was so close with him, that's what he called him. And so when he came up with these principles, he got them from the Father. And the Father said, this way I want you to tell them how to pray. And so when uh, so he gives these principles, and you know that Jesus, you know, if Jesus is telling them, they said, teach us to pray. You know, if Jesus 
uh, was doing, if he's going to teach him what to do, he's going to teach him what he did. So he took each one of these points. I feel like a Pentecostal preacher. I got my white handkerchief. You know, he, 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 this must have been part of the, the grist of his, how he prayed. But I don't think he just went, oh, Father, out in heaven, hallowed be the name, the kingdom come, the will be done. What else you got? Oh, uh, the kingdom come. Uh, you know, I think he tell, each one of those principles was fleshed out in his life. It was in his heart. It came from his heart. He gave them what the Father gave them, what the Father gave him. And, and to me, the one of the most powerful one, uh, part of, of this prayer is the one that I'm going to focus on. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, you know, there's nowhere in the New Testament where this gets fleshed out. What does that mean? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're not going to see anywhere where that's written out. But I tell you where it got fleshed out is the three and a half years that Jesus worked that's where it got fleshed out. They saw it lived out. They saw thy kingdom come. They saw the king in action. And they saw the king spreading his kingdom. And that's where they saw that these things were happening. And that's how they saw that this stuff was going on. And so basically what Jesus was telling them is that... Now you, you, know, you just get what he was saying there. He's saying, if you're going to pray, part of what you're going to pray is there's a kingdom up there in heaven. Something's set up there. By nature, it's heavenly and eternal. And it's the Father's kingdom. And it's His will. It's set. He's got it done. And by the time Jesus died on the cross, went to heaven, it was completely set. Everything perfect Everything powerful, everything eternal is in a location. Heaven. And here's what he's saying, boys. This is holy imagination. In principle, what I want you to say, I want you to be able to say, Father, whatever is up there, get it down here. Whatever's up there, get it down here. That's the way he told them to pray. Don't you think that's what Jesus said? He said, Father, there are demons roaming the earth. They're plaguing your people. Can you get rid of those demons out of these people? Everywhere Jesus went, demons got out of him. You know, and Jesus didn't have three-hour exorcisms. He just came up to him, get out now. A couple times he had to take a couple more minutes. You know, I mean, one guy's kid threw himself in the fire. And uh, he's sitting there having a conversation with the dad. So how long has this guy been doing this? The guy's rolling around in the fire, foaming at the mouth. He's probably having some sort of seizure. Jesus is having a conversation with his dad. It took him a little minute, but he got it done. You know, people being sick. Now, this is not, this is not a charismatic, prophetic, Pentecostal thing I'm going to say here. It's in the Bible. You know, death and uh, disease, that's not from God. God didn't say, hey, that'd be a great plan. I think I'll send disease onto the earth. And that will make people suffer. And then, you know what? Then they'll turn to me. That's disease and death <coughs> came because of the fall, because of Satan. But when Jesus went around, he did all that stuff. And, and, and the kingdom came because... Am I keeping up with my slides? This is one of the problems is when I'm preaching, I never keep up with my slides. I don't know. What's the next slide there, Dave? 
Uh, make sure I get that. Yeah, okay. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. So, when you see Jesus' life fleshed out, that prayer is being lived out, and Jesus becomes the definition of the very thing he taught. So, wherever Jesus went, he cast demons out. He healed people. He brought them to forgiveness. He preached about sin, and he brought people to forgiveness. He raised dead people. I'd like to see that happen. I went to a friend's uh, hospital room. He died. Four of my, three of my friends, we went, we sat there, and we waited for half an hour and asked God to raise him from the dead. didn't happen, but it didn't mean we weren't supposed to do that. We, there was an electricity in the air of expectation. Maybe God could do it. Jesus did it. People were called to repent, repentance. Jesus shined a light on darkness. He taught the truth, dispelling deception. He fulfilled the law. And one of my favorites, he elevated women to the level that he intended. Oh, my gosh. Can I just tell you how sweet and tender that is? I've sat with so many young ladies who have been abused, who have been raped, who have been misused. They're with guys now that treat them horribly. And we sit and we talk, and God helps me to help them find their value the way God made them, their identity. I'm just telling you, there's nothing. Now, maybe because I'm a daddy, I have two daughters and a wife. You know, maybe that's part of my, my heart's tender that way. But Jesus did that. What about the woman in John 8? You know, she was set up. Those Pharisees knew she was in there doing that. They might have even sent the guy in to have, to have relate. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I can, how, I got kids here. All right, to, to do that with her. They yanked her right out of the bed in the middle of the act, dragged her out, threw her down in front of Jesus, said, now what are you going to do with this woman? One of my favorite things, I don't even know if this is theologically correct, Jesus kneels down. I think that was Jesus just saying, I'm with you. You're feeling low. I'm telling you, I'm stooping low to let you know how much I love you. And then, you know, he says the stuff that he said. And he just said, woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. And all he told her was, don't do it anymore. In front of the whole religious community, he told that woman by his presence and his action that I love you, I value you, what men are doing to you now is no good. That's bringing the kingdom from there to here. And I ask one of my favorite things is as God opens doors, my wife and I have sat with, I mean, I can see some of you guys. I know one of them has listened to me. She's out of town now. Sat with women, brought the kingdom into their life. Doesn't get any better than that. Another thing that uh, one of my favorites is, one of the reasons why I'm focusing on this, because the community that I kind of grew up in, the charismatic prophetic community, 
They always focus on, he cast demons out. He's raised the dead and he healed them. That's the kingdom coming. Yeah, well, it certainly is, but it's certainly incomplete. Jesus did a lot more. Another one was, he busted deception. One of my favorites is in Matthew 5 through 7. You know, there was a law that you could, uh, you could divorce your wife. But there were two schools of thought, and I don't remember the two guys, but there are two rabbi had thought. One was very strict with Moses. The other was, eh, you know what? Your wife doesn't pour the soup right. Get rid of her. Your wife sneezes. You don't like the way she sneezes. Get rid of her. You know, making up. And so these men were just divorcing women right and left and getting new wives. <coughs> Jesus busted their chops. He said, that's not the way God intended in the beginning. It should be one husband, one wife. And Moses gave you a right of divorce for sexual promiscuity. And basically, what he was saying there was, all you men that have had all these wives because you thought it was okay, you're deceived. You need to quit doing it, and you need to repent. I love Jesus. He, he kind of like goes for the jugular on those kind of things. That's bringing the kingdom from heaven down to earth. Now, just another real quick deal. There's some verses right there. Matthew 4, uh, what I want to show is, is that what, is, what does it mean to bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done? I've got a couple, three or four verses all out of Matthew. Matthew four seventeen, From the time uh, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Why is the kingdom of heaven come near? Because the king's here. Why is it near? Because I'm here. And I'm Jesus, and I'm the king. He didn't go around saying that. He refused actually to be anybody's king. But that's basically what he's saying. If I'm here, I'm the king. And whatever I do, and what kind of way I establish stuff, that's the kingdom spreading. So when he says, uh, when he's praying, thy kingdom come, part of what he's saying is, I'm here, the kingdom's here. Second one, Matthew 12, 28. But it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What Jesus is saying is, if I'm casting out demons, then I'm the king and they're not. And I'm getting rid of them. So Jesus is saying the kingdom's here because I'm here. Uh, the next one, uh, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying there, now he's, he's, he's switched it to us. And he said, for those that are poor in spirit... You get to have the kingdom. It says theirs is the kingdom. Not theirs will be the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. Jesus' plan was to spread his kingdom by getting inside of us. And now we're his kingdom. And we take all the stuff the king has. And we spread it around and spread his kingdom. And then the last one there, 633. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. He's saying to us, seek the kingdom first. <clears throat> that means the kingdom has moved from just him as the king. We're the dumb. That's an old church joke, sorry. We're the dumb, the D-O-M. He's the king, we're the dumb. That doesn't mean we're dumb. We're the, we're the arena by which he reigns. So I wanted to show you that, that he's the king and his ideas is spread it to us. And that's the kingdom come. That's him fulfilling 
what he's praying. I think, if I could be a little bold here, as if I already am, I'm not, you know. I think God's challenging, uh, the time has come and is coming. God's challenging our church. Can we get up again and start risking, start praying again? It's not that we haven't been praying, but I feel like something new God wants to do with prayer. Let's start Let's start praying again together. Let's, and not only that, can we pray with holy imagination? Can we say, God, what's up there? Bring it down here. <coughs> what's up there? Can you bring it down here? But not only that, but Christ is in us. The King is in us. Christ, can you take us and use us and spread your kingdom? You know, like overrule darkness, overrule sin, overrule where the devil has got his playground. Can we do that? I think God wants to challenge us to start thinking bigger. And Dave told me to say that, so. (laughs) I like to tease Dave a little bit. Now let me just say, I'm almost done here. There's two concerns that I've been here at Scum for about five years. Although, no, I won't say that. I've been here for about five years, and I was always in charge of the prayer stuff. I've heard two concerns. Now, I'm not making this up. These are conversations I've had for five years with people. I have two con- There's two concerns about us being that kind of bold and, and kind of prayer of holy imagination. First concern is I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be phony, meaning... I got things going on in my life. I mean, I'm depressed. Uh, I feel like I want to kill myself. Uh, I can't make rent this month. Uh, I'm sick. I can't, I can't, uh, I'm having trouble with my wife. Uh, I can't quit certain kind of sins. I'm addicted to this. And uh, if I start praying with holy imagination, I'm going to sound like a fake. And after all, we at Scum, we don't want to appear like the rest of the guys, right? We've said that. We don't want to be fake. But I think what we can do is we can be in our foxhole with all of our problems. And we can also pray with holy imagination. One doesn't disclude the other. <clears throat> if you remember, those of you who have been around long enough, our prayer meetings, we'd get, we'd get with it, man. It was, it was, it was very uh, introspective, very quiet, but we'd get with it. Even I was quiet. And we'd go after the larger things. But I always made sure, since I was in charge, that people got prayed for before you left. If you needed prayer, I was here some nights till 1030 praying for people, and uh, as other people. And you know how the Holy Spirit shows up and, you, uh, and you, the prayer is going good? It's because nobody wants to go home. You know, I had the, I had the uh, building here till 1030. I mean, till uh, 930. And, you know, Chris would come in and, I go, sorry, Chris, man, we're still praying. Oh, no problem, no problem. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's at work uh, to some degree. And so I don't think we have to worry about being fake or that we would not uh, exceed what really our life is about. And the other one is, I'm just being honest with you guys. I think I've been around long enough I can be a little honest. Um, I've heard this so much. Afraid the culture at Scum's going to change. God starts doing miraculous stuff or big stuff 
or uh, we start asking for this and that and asking God to do this, that the culture of scum, we will unbecome scum. Do, you really, do we really think that's possible? I don't think so. When I first started the uh, worship and prayer ministry here five years ago, I asked this question of my leaders. I had about 12, then I had uh, eight, then six, and then I think there were three of us. I don't know, what, right, Katie? Something like that. Uh, I started asking this question. What would it be like for scum to be mature? What would it be like for scum to be mature? That started something that was a discussion that was had every week over and over again. And I could tell that in people's hearts and in their spirits, that was already ruminating. It just took somebody to come along and put language to it. And we began to talk about that. And I said, it doesn't mean we have to stop being scum of the earth church. Take down all of our artwork. All start wearing ties, you know, and start doing this and start doing that. It just meant, what would it mean for Jesus to mature the church? And part of the maturity was laying our culture. Um, this is not what I said. I didn't say any of this stuff. I just kind of fostered the conversation. Lay the culture on the altar. till eventually Jesse in one of the leadership meetings, said, everything is on the altar, even our culture, everything we do, all our attitudes, all our values, everything is on the altar. We're giving it up to Jesus. I never heard a church do that before. People are scared to do that. But I'm telling you, if we got stuff in our culture that's not from God and it's hindering people from God, it needs to go. Can I get an amen somewhere? Is, is that a truth that we could all agree on? If we have something in our church that keeps God from moving, keeps God from helping us grow, we should toss it out the window. Now, I've said this, preach this kind of message in white, middle-class, suburban churches because every church has got the same problem. We're not unique. We're not. And so, can we, if we've got that fear, can we lay that on the ground, I mean, on the altar? Metaphorically speaking, because we have no altar here. And ask God, God, come on. Come on. Can we get what's in heaven come down here? Can it be in our church? And can we start to get known as people that pray that? That got enough chutzpah, that have enough guts, to have enough Holy Spirit faith to do that? I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to wind this up now. We've had this stuff happen here. First couple, three years I was here, all I did was d- demon work. <laughs> Matter of fact, the only time they would let me preach is when they came to the passages on demons. They come to a passage in uh, Luke or something like that. Who should preach? Oh, we all know. Larry should preach on this. No, <laughs> no problem. We've had healings. We could talk about Katie Foster, who couldn't even walk. We'd spend time praying with her. And she, by the way, I've got permission to use these people's stories. Uh, she couldn't even walk. We had two hours of prayer. She forgave the doctors for messing her, her legs up. Got rid of all the cheese stuff. All that uh, um, new age junk. The chi and all that stuff. We got rid of all that. She said, get rid of it. Two weeks later, she's walking. She's then dancing. Then she's climbing mountains. I'd say that's God's kingdom come, thy will be done. And there was nothing flashy about it. Kathy Pence, she was barren. 
She got two kids now. And it happened, well, the prayer happened right down in the uh, prayer game. <laughs> I almost caught myself there. Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe I did that. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with these two quick stories and then I'm done. Everybody, enough people know who Mark Keithley is. I thought Mark had cerebral palsy until I talked with him, found out he had an operation that made everything go like that. One night, I'm in the prayer cave, he comes down, and I said, what can I do to pray for you? He's since moved to Washington. He said, I had a friend of mine who had a dream about me, and in the dream, I'm on a stage, and everything's working. It's all working. And I so I said, so how can we pray for you? And he said, I, I said, what do you think? I think that means God's going to heal me. My first response was, Mr. Wise, Mr. Wisdom here. Well, you know, Mark, that God can find uh, some good things for you in your suffering. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe the doctors can. Then the Lord says, shut up. <laughs> Ask him this. And I said, what does your faith say? He said, my faith says when I move to Washington, God's going to heal me. And I said, then that's what I'm going to pray for. If that's your faith, I'm not going to come up with something different. So I started praying for him. So I'm in there. I'm looking this way. All of a sudden, I see my wife, Cheryl. She's standing right over there. The beautiful lady over there in the pink. She comes down the ramp. She gets up behind Mark. She gets behind him. She lays her arms. Around. you got to know, if you know Cheryl, that's not usually what she does. <laughs> She came up behind him, put her arms around his neck, and began to weep uncontrollably. She knew nothing of what Mark said to me. And then I stopped praying. I said, Mark, look what's happening. I said, those are tears of intercession. My wife's interceding for you. And she just blurted out. See, I saw a picture of you, and everything was working. You had your hands up, and you're praising God. He's crying. I'm crying. Cheryl's crying. So I said, that's what we're going to pray for then. Is he healed yet? No. That's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Can we do that? One last deal, and then I'm going to say the last thing. I don't know if anybody's here that remembers it. I already said that a couple times, didn't I? I'm just following my notes here, folks. That's all I'm doing. Uh, Just before Mike went on his sabbatical uh, a couple years ago, I was sitting with him. He was... uh, drinking a coffee. I'm doing my thing. And I had this thing going on inside of me that I knew that I needed to say to him, but I knew it was all prophety because I'm a prophet and it's going to sound weird and dumb and, oh gosh. So this is, how, this is what I said to him. I said, Mike, I think we scum need to do a week of fasting and prayer to break the, and I had to use my charismatic language, to break the curse of poverty on this place. And the proof, if that hap- worked, is that the building will get paid off. That's what I told him. So he starts laughing. Huh? And I said, here's what we need to do. When you guys got the building in the first place, you guys made all these phone calls. You start asking people to donate. And I said, how about if we give Jesus a jingle? No, I mean, that's how I said it. Dial him up and give him a jingle and ask him to, to, to break this. Then Mike came up with some language that was better than 
Because, you know, can you imagine me standing up here? We're going to have a week of fasting and prayer. We're going to break the curse of poverty on this place. People are like, oh, my gosh. So Mike came up with a better way of saying it. So we had the week of fasting and prayer. In this corner over here, I set up some prayer stations. One night, uh, this station right here was a poster board. And it said, what do you think the strongholds at Scum are? Write them down and pray that God would break them. I seem to be okay if you do that. Mike sent me a picture Wednesday night, about 20 kids kneeling down, praying over those strongholds. I about lost my mind. It was awesome. So, Mike, we get done. Mike goes on his sabbatical. I'm sitting right back there. Jesse gets up front here and announces the gift had been given and the building had been paid off. I stood up in the back and I go, does anybody, I didn't say it, anybody put that together? Anybody put that together right now? I mean, and then when Mike came back, he stood up here and burned the mortgage. That's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that it is in heaven. But it comes from faith in here. I'm not saying we should go like, I made up some really stupid analogies, but I'm not saying that we should be extravagant and go, God, I don't have a winter coat. Can you give me a mink? That would be great. I'm not married. Could you make me pregnant so I can have a kid? You know, I'm not ta- I've heard of stuff like that. I'm saying, what does our faith inside here inspire us to do? That's what we should be praying. And can we ask God to expand us to the point we're willing to take the risk to pray the things that need to be prayed? Uh, the last slide. So here's what we're doing. You know, every good preacher's got applications, right? So Dave and I have been talking. We're going to start the prayer meetings up again. Camp, this is going to be awesome. Our very first one is going to be this Friday night. And I just tell people, bring your sorry bag of bones down, all your troubles, your everything is burdening you down. Get on down here, 7 o'clock, and we'll pray till we're done. We're going to start church prayer meetings this Friday night, 7 o'clock. I know Friday nights conflict with shows, uh, bands playing, you know, whatever. But we're going to start there. Second thing, you know what? We don't have to wait for Dave and Larry to start a prayer meeting to pray. We may be further down the road in our experience with prayer, but that doesn't mean we're the gurus that have to uh, uh, arrange everything. I'd like to see spontaneous prayer happening all over the place. When we were doing prayer meetings before and things were starting to happen, people kept calling me. Guess what? We had a spontaneous prayer meeting over here. We have a prayer meeting over there. We just, all of a sudden, we're praying for that guy who had a demon, and the demon left. And we were just praying for this and praying for that. It began to be like an outbreak. Need spontaneous prayer. And we don't need to wait for somebody's approval to do it. Just do it. Do it. What's that from the movie Waterboard? You can do it. That may be a movie that's too old for some of you guys. Sorry. And the third thing, application. Can we start to pray? Can we start to ask God? Can you expand us so we can pray the impossible? What we think is can't happen. Can we pray the what ifs? Can we just in our hearts give God a chance to be bigger than us? And just say a simple prayer. 
God, use me to pray that kind of prayer. Thank you for listening to my wild antics.